and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived, my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. You may be seated. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Let's pray. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. How glorious are your ways. How great are your judgments. How wondrous is your truth. How indeed is uh, how indeed perfect is your character and flawless is your person. Father, as we gaze upon your word this morning, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts an understanding of you, Lord. That as we have sung about you and we talked about you, that we would continue to worship you as we as we come to this passage of scripture. Father, may your spirit do what your spirit does in opening our eyes and revealing your truth and impressing it upon our hearts and sealing it to us as we as we look thereupon and we study it. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts that believe and understand, a mind that is willing to to grasp and a will to obey. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the title of this message this morning is Attitudes That Accompany Repentance. Attitudes That Accompany Repentance. And we are here in Psalm 51, and as the introduction to the psalm would tell us, it is a psalm of David after he had been rebuked by Nathan the prophet, and he had, he had sinned against Bathsheba, well, he sinned against the Lord, First of all, but he had he had taken Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, and Uriah he had killed in the front of the battle, and had covered it up in a in a very um, cold-hearted and defiant way until Nathan the prophet came to him. Nathan the prophet comes and he tells him about this story of of a man who had many sheep a rich man, and he lived beside this, this man who was poor, and, and he had one lamb, and that lamb was dear and precious to him, and he, he fed that lamb, and he, he gave him food off of his table. The lamb slept with him. The lamb was a pet to his children. It was just very uh, something, uh, a little creature that he loved, and he, and he uh, cherished. And then a stranger or a visitor comes through, and he needs to fix food for this visitor this rich man to the rich man's house and the rich man instead of taking a one of his many to give to the visitor he takes the poor man's one little lamb and david was indignant as he should be and he was angry and he was and he was uh, wrathful about this and he said surely this man will die not in my house not in my kingdom will I allow this to go on and as Nathan listened to what David had to say he finally looked at him and said David you're the man you're the man and this brought David to a place where he stopped pointing the finger at others and he started looking at himself he said I have sinned before the Lord David here 
gives us a bit of an insight into what his attitudes were as he repented of his sin. One of the reasons I, I have felt impressed to preach on this passage of Scripture because there is a loose and fast attitude today about repentance of sin. It, it means to some people that, well, I'll just say I'm sorry. And maybe they'll say, well, maybe it's more like, I'm sorry I was caught. Or I'm sorry everybody has to know about this. Or I'm sorry that I was, I was offend, I offended somebody. But David goes to the root of the issue. Repentance is an issue that God asks, brings to us, gives us the gift of it, but it takes us to the core of who we are. It deals with sin at the root, at the heart. And there, the heart is the issue. The heart of man is the heart of the matter of sin. John Calvin used to say it's a factory of wickedness it manufactures ways to be wicked that's by nature but let's look at what david finds as he as he comes to god he's 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 went through a difficult time just as after he acknowledges his sin and he repents of it he turns from it He's trying to be restored, trying to, to find help. The child that was conceived, when he's born, it becomes very sick and dies, and God told him this would happen. The sword never departed from David's house. David never had a peaceful time amongst his family for the rest of his days. Um, though God spared his life, there were many, many effects of this issue but i want us to note that that should not that should not discourage anyone found in sin from coming to the lord in fact we're going to find here that the attitudes that accompany repentance are those that seek god himself they're attitudes of people who seek for god himself they're not just interested in making everything look good anymore. They want to know God. So let's look at this. <clears throat> first, the first attitude we want to know, and it's the, the first uh, condition here, is an appropriate plea for mercy, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> he says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to... To your loving kindness. Mercy here is the description of an inferior, a slave, asking the master to stoop down and have compassion upon him in his need. This is David looking to God saying, stoop down here and please have compassion on your little child, on your little baby if you please. Have mercy upon me. David here knows that this is the place to go for mercy. God is the giver of mercy. God is a merciful God. In Deuteronomy 34, Moses discovered this as he asked God that God would show him his face. But God said, you cannot see my face and live. But here's what God told him. In Deuteronomy 34, verses, I'm sorry, it's, it's not Deuteronomy 34, I've got the wrong, it's Exodus 34, <clears throat> verses 6 and 7. And Moses got an understanding of God that is, is still a signature, it's a signature quality of our God. And so... As we think about this, this is not something that's just he does every once in a while, but it is who our God 
is. He is this. If I can get my pages to turn here. In Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. I'm going to back up just a little bit. <clears throat> now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. By no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Notice that he says, I am the God who keeps mercy. I keep mercy. You know, if God removed himself and his presence from this world, mercy would be gone. Mercy would not be here. It is God who is merciful. It is God who shows compassion. It is God who gives us the appreciation of His mercy. He desires nothing less here. David wants nothing less than the mercy of God. And let's notice the quality of the first part of here in verse 1, the quality of mercy that he's asking for. It's a mercy that is according to the loving kindness of God. Loving kindnesses or tender mercies, as the old King James would, would say, it's, this, it's, it's the same word, and it's, it's the expression of tender affection. It's the expression of, a, of your little child, your little baby, and you, you do everything for this little child because you love this little child. You, know, you, you make sure that he's properly fed. You make sure that he's clothed. You make sure that you clean up after him. You make sure that he's safe. All these little things that we do, and even extra things. They have a birthday, and we, and we make a cake. They, have, um, they, they, they go to school, and they make an achievement, and we give them a reward for their achievements. It's tender mercies. It's caring about the child. That's the way we are with God. As children of His covenant, David is asked, as children of His covenant, when we fail, we must ask God for mercy and for His tender mercies. And this is the level of mercy that David is asking God for. He views himself as a helpless little one. And he's in need of special, tender mercy and favor from God. Not only does he, does he look at the quality of mercy that comes directly from God, he's asking God, please make me your special little one. Your special baby. Your special, uh, your special little prince. Your special little princess. Make me that special one. And he does this after he has sinned in such a grotesque way. And he's asking for this because he knows he needs it. Listen, I, I, I find so many times today that people sin to the magnitude of David's sin and they never regret it. A person like that will never ask God for mercy. But as children of God, He wants us to look to Him and ask Him for mercy. He wants us to be so, so humble before Him that we see ourselves as helpless. And it's His tender mercies that will sustain us. You see God as that big this morning? That it's His tender mercy that sustains us. That keeps us able to come back to Him. That keeps us loving Him. Well, not only is the, does He look for the quality 
But in verse, the last part of verse 1, he looks for the quantity, the largeness, the multitude of your tender mercies, the greatness of him, how many there are, how many people are receiving the tender mercies of God all at the same time and have done so for all the ages of this world. And not one hair of their head has fallen and he doesn't know about. That's what Jesus said. We're going to hold your finger here. Let's turn to Psalm 106. And let's understand what David was asking for. Uh, it'll shine a little bit of a light upon what we're seeing here. as what David is asking for. Psalm 106 verse 43 And if we understand this psalm, it's about the history of Israel. How that he took them out of the land of Egypt. He carried them to the land of Canaan. He provided for them all the way. And then as they came to the land of Canaan, they... Well, we go back to verse 39. <clears throat> verse 38, they shed innocent blood, the blood of their own sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. The land was polluted with their blood. Thus they were defiled by their own works and played the harlot by their own deeds. Therefore the wrath of the Lord was kindled against them so that he abhorred his own inheritance. He gave them into the hand of the Gentiles, and those who hated them ruled over them. They were enemies, their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hand. Verse 43, many times he delivered them. But they rebelled in their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. Nevertheless, nevertheless, he regarded their affliction. Even after they rebelled against him in all these ways, when they were in affliction and when they were down and when they were oppressed, he comes back to them. He heard their cry. <coughs> Pardon me. And for their sake, he remembered his covenant. For their sake, he remembered his covenant. What's a covenant? A covenant is an agreement. It is God speaking a promise to us. And there are conditions and there are terms of that covenant. And it's, he brings us to the table and he's on the other side. And if you will obey me, I will bless you. I will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. If you forsake me, these blessings are going to turn around and become curses to you. And so, when we come to a covenant with God, the thing that we must understand is that God always keeps His side of the covenant. When the covenant gets broken, it's because we break it. Now, what's, what's, what's the penalty? What's the What's the, what ha, what's the outcome of us breaking a covenant with God? It's death. It's death. And God yet, instead of just wiping His people off the face of the earth, He again has mercy on them. He restores them. He brings them back to Himself. Now, we know he says that he does not by any way means clear the guilty. The ones who hold their sin and are never repentant of their sin, he will not make a place of, of overlooking that sin. But he brings them to repentance and he delivers them. It's in this affliction that they learn who God is and that they need him again. It's in the heart of this of this misery, that they understand something about the goodness of God. And they cry out to Him for repentance. And He remembers His covenant with them and relented according to the multitude of His mercies. He also made them to be pitied by all those who carried them away captive. You see, God is the God of everlasting mercies. It's, it's many mercies. It's great mercy. And it's mercy that is of His 
tender mercies. It's his, his children are his special children. They are his own. As David here was his own, David is asking for the tender mercies of God. You see, David knew that God had been merciful to Israel repeatedly. So he's asking for this largeness of mercy because he sees the many problems that his sin has created. He understands that by him lusting and going after that lust and committing that sin, that he has created far more problems than he can ever solve. Friends, that's the nature of our sin. We have to see our sin that way. We're like the little toddler whom you would turn loose in, a, in, a, in an, egg, in an egg, uh, egg store or, or someplace where he could just get in and do what he wanted to. He can make a bigger mess than he knows how to clean up. And God still has tender mercies for us. Because sin takes us farther than we want to go. Keeps us longer than we want to stay. And costs us far more than we can pay. And God is the one who comes along. And His tender mercy for His children cleans up their mess. Restores them to fellowship with Him again. Friends, we are like the little toddler. That's how we do life apart from God's loving kindness. That's how we live life. We live it making a mess everywhere we go. You see, our attitude must be that I have to have the mercy of God. If I don't have the mercy of God, there's no way I can live. Well, not only... Does David ask that God have mercy upon him? But he understands that this mercy is going to bring some things. And that's why he says, blot out my transgression. Blot out my transgressions. To blot out here means to obliterate. To wipe the slate clean. To erase the trespass completely from the record. This is like a record of court where the crimes committed are recorded, and the people's names are attached to the crime. And then the law prescribes the punishment for the crime. But Jesus comes, and for us, all His children, He takes the punishment upon Himself, thus taking to Himself the cost of the crime committed, thereby clearing our record and giving us His benefits. You see, on the cross, there's a holy exchange that pleased God. That exchange was my sin and your sin went on our Lord Jesus Christ. And His holiness and righteousness is given to His children. We can't deserve that, folks. There is no way that we can say, I have done enough to merit that kind, that kind of mercy. But you see, God has mercy upon us even that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Colossians 2 in Colossians 2, and in verse 13 to 14. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says this, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having given, forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, 
that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of his way, out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You see, before he wiped it out, there was a handwriting of, of ordinances, of laws that said the sinner must die. The payment, the wages of sin is death. But Christ has taken that sin upon himself and has united us to himself that we may be made alive with him. That when he was raised from the dead, by faith we too were raised and have given, forgiven all our trans transgressions and have wiped out the handwriting and the ordinances against us. When Christ said he is the fulfillment of the law, it means that ultimately in the end, we cannot pay that debt. We can't meet what was written on the handwriting of ordinances. We can't fulfill the law. David understood that. There must be the Lamb of God who takes away, who blots out the sin of the world. Let's notice that he says, blot out my transgression. What's that word transgression mean? Do any of you children remember from our Bible study what goes along with that word transgression? Sin? sin? What kind of sin? Remember we had the kind where it misses the mark, the hamartia? And we had another kind. Trespassing. Trespassing. Thank you, Lance. That's good. Trespassing. And so David, this transgression is a trespassing. God had said, no trespassing here. In God's covenant, adultery and murder are outside of the bounds of, of, of his covenant. He says, don't trespass there. You will die if you trespass there. And David transgressed. He trespassed. He crossed the line as a covenant child of God. And he asks that this be taken off his record. You see, that was rebellion against God. A transgression or a trespass is when we know. There's a sign there, and we can read it. And we know the boundaries. And we know what God has set up, and we trespass it anyway. That's rebellion. Rebellion, my friends, is against God. It's against God. This is why we need mercy. The same God who will hold us accountable for our rebellion is the same God we go to to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Now David here, we notice, asks for mercy. We don't see anything of him asking for grace. What's the difference between grace and mercy? Grace simply means a gift. It's a gift that's given given freely. And the gift that get David was given was that he was a child of the covenant of God. God had already gifted him into his covenant. And that's what it means for us to become believers. We are get granted the gift of faith and repentance to enter the kingdom of God. And thus, we are graced into the kingdom of God. But he is inside the kingdom of God now, has fallen. He stepped outside of the bounds. And he needs mercy. It's a little bit like Noah being in the ark, in the boat, 
And the covenant of God, by the promise of God, he would be kept alive, safe from the floodwaters in that boat. But if during the course of their, of their travel, they hit some rough spots and Noah fell and broke his arm in the midst of the, of the travel, then he needs mercy. You know, he's had grace to preserve him, but inside of that grace, he needs mercy. He needs the tender mercies of God. And that's what David is saying. Yes, Lord, I know I've been received by you, but I need your mercy. Mercy is now needed because he's broken God's covenant law. And he deserves death. In fact, if we were to look back at 2 Samuel 12, <clears throat> verses 13 and 14, here it says plainly that, and I just want to look at that briefly because that reflects deeply into this passage. 2 Samuel 12, verses 13 and 14. After Nathan comes to him, Nathan tells him what's going to befall him. Verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. David knew that he deserved to die. And God says, I've put your sin away. You won't die. But he says... However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child who is born to you shall surely die. This, my friends, though he must bear the consequences that God gives him here, he's found mercy with God. He's found mercy with God. God is merciful. David tells us that after he had wept and he had mourned and he had fasted for a week and that found out the child died. He said, he cannot come to me. I can't get him back. He's gone. But he said, I shall go to him. I shall go to him. Mercy from God is God giving us a bit of His righteous love and character in this life until He sets things right when He comes again. All that's wrong is going to be made right. And God's going to set it right. And this is why we need mercy. Mercy is not going to keep us from the consequences of this sin, of sin in this life. But mercy from God will enable us. It will enable us to live through those things for God's glory. David still had a future. There's still a future here for David, even though he must endure some difficult things. He can still be a man after God's own heart and for his glory. I want to ask you this morning, how you view your sin? Have you become hardened? Have you become unable to beg for mercy? Have you asked God for mercy in regard to your sin? Do you really want God to give you His tender mercies? Are you too proud? Maybe you say, well, I'm not a baby. I can take care of myself. I've got my own thing I can do. If so, you don't have an appropriate attitude that goes with repentance. If you're too proud to ask Him for mercy, He won't give it to you. Are you receiving Christ 
and his salvation as a little child in need of his tender mercies. In need of them. You know, you know our little children, they depend upon us for everything. They need their food, we, we give them their food. They need love, we give them love. They need clothes, we give them clothes. They need our tender mercies. How much more do we need God's tender mercies? We need God's tender mercies just to make it through the day, folks. And unless we have the tender mercies of God, God does not mean to us what He says He is. God is cold and hard and judging to us. It's when we come to the point of needing mercy, we find He's full of mercy. He's full of mercy. Now let's notice what He asks for. <clears throat> Not only blotting out His transgressions, but a thorough washing, a comprehensive cleansing. The thorough washing is a plea for God to do to him what a fuller would do to a garment that was stained. The fuller would take hot water and strong chemicals and, and try to bleach the, 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 the stain out of the garment and remove it completely. And that's what he's asking for when he says, wash me thoroughly. It's a... It's a, it's a great washing. It's, a, it's an intense washing. It's, a, it's a, a strong washing that removes the stain. And friends, that's what Christ does. The gospel is the means to salvation. And there's a strong cleansing. God doesn't skim off the top a little bit. Say, well, I've cut off what, what you'll see. He does a strong cleansing. And friends, that's what we need to ask for. Because that's what He gives. Iniquity here, verse 2, is the depravity, the perversity, and the moral evil that causes the actions of sin. David's not wanting to make things look good on the surface. He's wanting to get to the root of it and say... I want to cleanse what caused me to go there to begin with. What made me do that anyway? Why would I have done that? Why would I go after that little bit of pleasure and suffer these horrible consequences? Something's gone wrong. Something's gone awry. This means to be cleansed in his heart and spirit from the desire to transgress the will of God. It means to take away all outward implications, all physical implications. He's asking for this mercy to take away outward implications of this sin. But lastly of all, he's asking for a clearing of his record with God. And this is the important part. This is what we should be, care, be caring about. You know, most, <clears throat> most times we just, we just, we're just ashamed that we were found out. But what does God think about it? If I really want the mercy of God, what does that mean? That means that on the day of judgment... My record must be clean. And most people don't care about that today. They, won't, they, they want to hide it. They want to skim over the surface. So long as it's good with man, we're good with it. They look at each other and compare themselves among themselves. The reason he says it's not wise is because we don't know what it means. We don't understand in full what God does when He clears our record. He's told us that He will by the blood of Jesus Christ. But 
there's a book in which all our lives are written in. And there's a book where the, of the Lamb where the children of God are written in that book. And there's record. And he's saying, God, please remove this from my record. I don't want to stand on that day before your judgment seat and that to be on my record. Friends, we ought to be concerned about that. That ought to be number one priority for us. When we ask for mercy of God, from God, is that what does God think about this? Who cares if my neighbor thinks bad of me? If God thinks well of me, and God is approving of, of my repentance, and it's what He wants to have happen in my life, we need to let the rest of the stuff go to the wind. Because God will take care of that too. We care so much about what we do in this life with very little regard to eternal perspective. And God's calling us back to an eternal perspective here. He's saying, I want, you, I want your record clean. And so David is asking, Lord, clean my record. How do you see your need of receiving a thorough cleansing from your sin? You know, but for the grace of God, you may say, well, I, I never committed adultery. I never murdered anybody. You know, I've never done these things. But for the grace of God, there go all of us. But for God's grace, given the opportunity and the time and the, and the, and the circumstances and the place and the money and the, and the power, we'd have done it too. We're no different. So my friends, if we see our sin as God sees it, we'll be asking for mercy. We'll be asking for mercy. If we don't want to be thoroughly cleansed from our sin, we're still holding it. If we don't want to be thoroughly cleansed, we're still holding it. We've not repented. We've not turned from it. We've made an outward profession, but the heart has never been changed. Lastly, I want to look now at the accurate acknowledgement of sin. The accurate acknowledgement of sin. Verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. David is not blaming Bathsheba. He's not blaming Uriah. He's not blaming his men. He's not blaming the Lord. He's blaming himself. He says, I have sinned. It's a little bit like two men that were hunting. And one man had the gun. And he shot an illegal deer. And the game warden walked up to them at the very time they killed the deer. And he says, we shot the deer. That's what we do with our sin sometimes. That was we. But we need to be saying, it was me. I did it. And when I say I did it, I'm taking responsibility where responsibility needs to be taken. And that's when we're driven to ask God for mercy. He says, I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is always before me. This my sin is always before me. It's always in front of my face. Listen, a man who's repentant knows that his sin is the thing that will stand between him and God and is the offense that he must deal with. And it must be dealt with in Christ. He says, I, my sin stands before me right in front of my face. It's obvious, Lord. I, I, I've sinned before you and I've harmed other people. But let's notice verse 4, he says, against you, you only have I sinned. Now, he committed adultery. He killed the husband of the woman he committed adultery with. The baby that she had died, and his children suffered for it. 
Plus, Israel suffered for it. Why does he say against you and you only I have sinned? Sir, was, there, was there anything? I mean, is he just, what, what's he doing? Is he trying to skip some blame? Is he trying to, to go around the issue? <clears throat> the word sin here is the word hata, and it's the word to miss the mark. It's like the, the archer who, who shoots at a target and he misses the mark. And he said, my transgression came because I missed the mark with God. My transgression, my outward disobedience came because of an inward sin that was only against the Lord. And that's the way it always is. Outward transgression has inside roots. And he says, against you, I have sinned. This is where we must understand that God is the one who sets the standard for sin. It's not sin by what I think is right and wrong. It's not sin by what my brother thinks is right and wrong. It's not sin by what my neighbor thinks is right and wrong. What does God think? What has God said? God knows that something went awry in David's heart. There was something that was that needed to be uncovered. There's something that needed to be dealt with. He said, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. The word literally, against you and you only have I missed the mark and fashioned or formed or created this evil. So the idea is that he missed the mark with God. In the heart. And outwardly he fashioned the evil because of it. If we're fashioning evil today, it's because we've missed the mark with God. There's an inside job going on that's deeper than what appears on the outside. And unless we deal with the root, we won't have any different fruit. The tree only bears in accordance with its root. The fruit reflects the root. And yes, it exemplifies or, or, or makes manifest what the root really is. And so, he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. And he comes in and he says, that you may be just. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. In order that is what he's saying. I recognize that my sin is against you in order that when you judge me, you will be righteous in judging me. That ultimately, my neighbor can't judge me for my sin. My brother can't judge me for my sin. The president can't judge me for my sin. Ultimately, God judges for sin. And this is what we must understand with repentance. We see, we see the, the outward fruit. And yes, we may have hurt people and we need to go talk to people when we have hurt them and offended them. And, and, and we need to make reconciliation where we can. But you know, brothers and sisters, if we never get past that, we've not repented. Until we get to the root that says, here's where I sinned against God. We'll never get to the root. It will always be trying to clip bad fruit off of a bad tree. You see, God doesn't take good fruit and paste it on a bad tree. 
He changes the tree. He takes the tree out and he plants it into himself so that the fruit that, that comes from there is good fruit. So the attitude of our heart must be that my sin is against God. And whatever implications that has had, however I've fashioned evil in my hands and with my body, that must be confessed and appropriately uh, appropriately confessed and, 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 and restitution be made as much as possible. That God is clear when He's speaking. God will be clear. There's no doubt in my mind that God in the day of judgment, He will be blameless and clear when He speaks. The point is we need to see Him that way. How many people today blame God for their problems? I hear it all the time. How many people curse God because things go wrong? Got to get to the root of it, brothers and sisters. The root of it is we have sinned. I have sinned against God. This is an attitude of repentance. Not only must we ask for mercy, we must acknowledge, rightly acknowledge our sin. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, we acknowledge, Lord, our need for mercy. We acknowledge, Lord, that you are the one who gives mercy. We acknowledge, Lord, that we have sinned and that our sin is ever before us. We acknowledge that against you and against you only we have sinned. And it's against you, Lord, that our sin starts and we fashion evil against our brothers and sisters. So I pray, Lord, for repentance in our hearts. God, that we would truly turn from the sin that is against you. So that we will not fashion evil against each other. And Father, so we can find the mercy that you have said you will give. Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us from the pages of your word. We just ask, Lord, for your grace, your mercy, your power to follow you with all that we have. May the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious unto you and give you peace. Amen.